Hi, I'm your host, Will Poole, and you're listening to The 77, a podcast where founders from the global south share their strategies and secrets for scaling their businesses. Have you wondered about the similarities and differences between startups in the world's fastest growing economies? Do you expect their challenges to be the same or different from those of Silicon Valley's best? This podcast is a means for you to get valuable insights into the world of Global South tech startups through meaningful conversations with inspiring leaders. There are 77 countries designated by the UN as Global South. At Capria, a venture firm, we have interest in more than 500 companies that are operating in almost half of the 77 countries already. Let's get started. I'm here today with Devin DeVries, who's the founder and CEO of Where Is My Transport? Uh, Devin, thanks for joining us. Take a minute, if you could, and uh, introduce yourself. So I'm a founder and CEO of Where Is My Transport. Uh, this is my third technology company, but it's the first one that's been venture-backed. Where Is My Transport is based out of the UK, and it is a mobility technology company focused uh, predominantly on emerging markets and making public transport better and easier to use within those markets. And uh, I'm right now sitting in Cape Town, uh, visiting uh, my team and some of my family. Oh, that, that's great. You said what, 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 where's my transport does, um, what does success look like? Um, if, if, if everything goes great, what is, what is the big thing that's achieved by where's my transport? Well, there are a few ways to answer that. If we are able to make people's lives just a little bit better every day, uh, utilizing public transportation, uh, as they move from A to B, that would be success. And obviously doing that at the scale of tens of millions or hundreds of millions of people, that would be a tremendous success. And uh, I, I would say that that success is sort of unfolded in layers. And the first of those layers is how do you actually make the information necessary to provide such a service or enable such a thing through technology? That has perhaps been the first thing that has made Where's My Transport a, a name that is known within at least the transit and mobility space. Well, I think that anybody that spent any time trying to get around the the mega cities of the world that you operate in would really appreciate what you're the point you're making. It uh, can be quite arduous, and I guess if if one has to live with that every day for getting to work, uh, you can really think about the the untold number of uh, millions of billions of hours that get wasted with uh, poor transport. So it's a good good mission you're on. So tell me what what, what are the what are a couple of the countries you operate in today? Well, when you think about where we operate, I suppose there's two ways to look at that. There's the data side of the company that we're perhaps more known for, uh, mapping and collecting transit data all around the world, often revealing the invisible networks that move billions of people. Um, and from that perspective, we've mapped cities all around the world from Africa through the Middle East, through Southeastern Europe, uh, Latin America, South and Southeast Asia. We actually just completed our 51st city, uh, Lagos, Nigeria. Congratulations. That's no small city. <laughs> it's no small city. And I'm sure the team, I look forward actually to the debrief with the team and, and the things that they learned going through, going through that experience. Let, let, let's just dive into that for one moment. So uh, and I think somewhat the consumer product is a little bit easier for people to get their head around than the data product. So I'm a consumer and I use uh, Roomba, I think that's the name of your app. And I commute every day with an arduous commute. So what does your app do for me? The app Rumbo um, aims to give people an advantage, aims to give them some idea of what is going to meet them when they step outside of their front door. Because at the end of the day, when you travel from A to B and it's your regular commute, you very seldom actually need to know what exactly is the route. <laughs> the journey is something that is known to you. What is not known to you is what's going to happen 
that's going to affect your journey along the way. And so the primary value proposition of the product is to give you an understanding of what might be coming up, uh, what might affect your journey, and, and trying to give you a sense of um, what is the status of my trip this morning. And the second thing is that because we have all of this data representing the complete transit network within uh, any market that we operate in, the secondary benefit there is, well, if you need an alternative, a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, uh, which you often need within these dynamic markets, uh, we're actually able to provide you with information that helps you get to your destination with the same amount of money or within the, the time limitations that you have. So I'm going along and, and I have a two-leg journey in it and, and the app is going to tell me that the train on the second leg of my journey is delayed by an hour and here's some alternatives I could take. So let me just get into a little bit about how you run the business. What, what's a recent business decision that you're really proud of? I was pulled between one that was less recent and something that was actually at the start of the pandemic, which is something that uh, is we've all gone through. And I feel like making the decision to become a remote first business quite literally within 21 days of the lockdown, beginning when they said these lockdowns will only be 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. Uh, that was a decision that I feel very good about and something that has now actually become core to the culture of how we're building this company going forward. And I believe has even given us some advantages in terms of how we build a more diverse team and how we source talent, etc. I think one of the great things that enabled was for us to all be equally far apart or equally close to together. That is a decision I'm, I'm, I'm proud of. And then decision from a product standpoint within the business, I, I feel like expanding Rumbo into Bangkok. That is something that we're also very proud of. You know, it's a non-Latin market, our first two markets in Latin America. And this was a huge amount of work to actually take this product um, out and, and maybe it goes against the grain because a lot of uh, investors will say, well, you should focus on being successful in one market. But again, understanding the idiosyncrasies of emerging markets versus developed markets, I feel like one of the things that is native to an emerging market is the fragmentation at all levels of, of society and the economy. And so I feel like building a product that is going to be ready for scale actually requires a different approach. And uh, this is another call that we made, which was to actually go after three quite distinct markets, one obviously having some commonalities, but a third one being completely distinct, and trying to push for a product that truly is seen as a hyper-local product within each of those respective markets. Let, let me move on then to uh, a, a couple of questions just about you. W what is one capability or trait that you think has been really important to either your personal or your business life? You can answer this from the perspective of yours, your teams, or your family. It's a positive attitude. And maybe the counterpoint and something I've had to work on, which often sits behind a positive attitude, is a, a blindness that exists because you're hopeful in situations where perhaps you're hopeful over being objective. But overwhelmingly, I believe having a positive attitude, and, and that maybe stems also from an attitude of gratefulness, um, I believe gives you an edge. And at the end of the day, also when hiring people, it's something that I look for because you can't really change a person's attitude. What the attitude they've got is the attitude they've got. And that's what you've got to work with. And I, I genuinely believe that's been an advantage. Uh, many people, of course, call 
uh, entrepreneurs like us, hopeless optimists, um, which is but but part of that positive attitude has to flow through when you're up against really hard problems. Um, but to that point, you know, what what is a capability that that you feel is a must have for any kind of an early stage tech entrepreneur like yourself? It would have been the second attribute I would have named if you'd asked me for two on the previous question, but perse perseverance. It has been a compliment that I've received a number of times over the years. I mean, building a company in emerging markets, uh, as I like to remind people, the majority world, it comes with a fair number of challenges and uh, prejudices from, um, from capital markets as they sort of look at a business that is targeted at these markets. And I feel like perseverance is really at the heart of, of building any business. Yeah, absolutely. Now, on, on the thesis that we often learn more from our mistakes than from our successes, um, what, what's a business decision that you're willing to admit publicly that you, that you regret? And, and what did you learn from that? It's actually a decision from really early on. Um, and it's one that I have taken down. Separating often as you build and you have your founding team, in particular, if, those, if that founding team are a group of people that are quite technical, like myself, you can very quickly romanticize the problem space and focus on the engineering. And as you build the team and the business around that, uh, you perhaps allow certain roles to be shared for longer than they should be. And one that I definitely got wrong in the early stages and it was certainly costly was actually allowing the space of business administration and operations to be joined up with the management of people. So if I had the luxury of because I've, I've obviously written other things down, like I would build my management team from day minus one um, before looking to uh, even start the business and, and begin any kind of fundraising. I would hire that people person probably as a higher number one, uh, because really that's not just about the people, it's about culture setting, it's about making sure while you're all pushing at 150%, even if it's purely out of place of excitement and passion, that you are building the right habits into, into how you achieve that, that tremendous outcome that obviously everyone's vested in. That's an important learning that actually took me many years to figure that out as well. Um, and it's having started multiple companies. So um, it, it, the investing in the people architecture if you, of your business is as important as the technical architecture, right? In fact, yeah, it's probably absolutely. more important because you'll throw away the tech architecture a couple of times, but hopefully you won't throw away the team. As you know, at Capria, we, we come from entrepreneurial backgrounds, but we're also investors, and you've got quite a few investors. And I'm curious, other than capital, what is something that you seek from your investors? Genuine support. And that's uh, not meant to be a veiled comment, um, but investors bring a lot of their own incentives, reasoning to the table. Some have never operated in businesses. They will try and get quite involved in the operations and running of the company. And while I can respect where they're coming from, sometimes it can really make it quite difficult for the teams to execute because if you have a number of investors and you're doing this with, with each of them, uh, it, it can really draw from, from the time. I believe that can come in the form of aiding you with investor introductions, always being on the lookout for connecting the company with both investors and corporates who could make great uh, partners on the growth journey of the company. And, you know, volunteering up, connecting the business with people that might mentor or, or, or share advice that are a little bit further ahead on the journey. I mean, none of that is rocket science. It's pretty easy to be able to 
you know, see what could be helpful for a business at a particular stage. And those are things where when it has been provided, I've definitely been incredibly grateful for that. And it's been materially helpful to the business and the team. So, so what you're saying is that what you really value most is connections to people that have deep uh, entrepreneurial experience that maybe can mentor you and help you or, or your team. That's super important. And, and you seek that from your network of investors. As well. Completely. I mean, it's one of the great things that they have access to, right? They're speaking to the, you know, thousand founders, you invest in 15, 20, and you have so many conversations along that journey as an investor. To be able to connect those dots for, for your investees is, is something you can bring that often the investors are so busy focused on what's immediately in front of them, they don't get to make those connections. Um, and they can be quite transformative. Let's move on to the topic that uh, is, is really a topic of the, the day and probably the week, month, and year for uh, for many founders is the whole question around talent attracting and, and retaining great talent. And um, I'd like to know from your perspective, so if you think about the top five things that keep you up at night, right? The classic question for a CEO, where does uh, hiring and retaining talent fit in that top five for you? Hiring, I would say this point is much lower and retaining is very much at the top. And I don't think that's a static positioning on, on that on that stack rank. I think it very much depends on the stage of where the company is at. Now, if I, if I can back you up, just to rewind a little bit, you had to do a staff reduction. So obviously retention is going to be top of mind. But if you were to rewind yourself maybe back a year, but when you're doing more team build, at that time, was it attracting or retain other way around? Yeah, completely other way around. And I, I got to say, if I think about when we made the decision to go remote first and be equally far apart, allowed us to find more diverse talent or those special individuals that you know they they wake up and transport is that we call them. If we weren't a remote first business, we never would have been able to reach that kind of talent or to be able to accept them into the business in a way where they could also be supported. Uh, as remote workers. And so I definitely feel that that decision around remote first for the right type of team members has been an, uh, an asset uh, to the business and our culture. Going back to, uh, this is not focused on today, but a general view. Many would say that retaining talent is fundamentally, not that it's easy, but it's easier to retain good talent and more important than hiring new talent. Um, would you agree with that? Or how do you think about that? Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree with that. And I would add something to that. Even when you are hiring, it's much better to go through the pain of not filling the space and carry the extra load than jump to, well, that person's like 90%. So let's, let's, let's take that higher. Um, I may have made that mistake enough times to not want to make that mistake again. There's a lot of factors that impact both hiring and, and retention. And um, I'm, I'm curious as to which of the following three do you think is the biggest one that impacts, uh, against startup leaders today? Is it the tight employment market? Uh, the specific skills, as you call them, transportation walks that you might need in, in your particular business? Um, or, or something else that's unique to, for example, having a globally diverse team, uh, globally distributed team? So w w what are the biggest factors that impact you? There's certainly an opening of borders that has occurred in terms of hiring people from other markets uh, in order for companies to sort of improve their 
cost base uh, from a payroll standpoint while still accessing great talent and their organizations allowing it through you know having a hybrid working model for instance so i think you're you're fighting that where uh, salaries are coming in from perhaps australia or the us and it's a completely different pay level to your market but perhaps those businesses are choosing to actually keep the pay level quite close to that market despite the person sitting in a market that costs you know a basket of goods is 20% the, the basket of goods in 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 the city that the the pay is connected with um, I think that's one aspect. And the other aspect, I think, is to do with the current market conditions and maybe a, a sense that being at a larger organization provides more security, more cover. And making a move to a larger organization might just give you a better sense of security. So really, it's, it's um, large companies poaching in emerging markets, talent, and paying developed market price even though they're sitting in the, in the de- developing economy and uh, potential security that comes with that. Yeah, you mentioned earlier on, on retention and the, for, for good reasons, but w- what are three things that you've done that you feel really good about relative to retain, retention? One of the really important things that we did was be overtly transparent about what we were going through um, as a team first and as a business, uh, so externally. And I think that went a long way to giving people a sense of if there's something we need to know, they're going to tell us, even if it's a difficult thing. And we, we also continue to provide mental health support uh, to all of the team. I think that's particularly important in a remote environment where you aren't necessarily able to keep your finger on the pulse of how everyone is doing. And it's a lot you can hide behind these, these screens here. And so... That's that's one decision we've made. We've also, um, you know, had in place an employee share option plan from the very early days. I think doing more to allow people to understand the true value that they hold. And you know, you've also shared with me some some changes in the market that allow startups to create some liquidity through future fundraisers for teams on on those kinds of plans. But at the end of the day, I think the most important thing is that you're inspired by the work you do, honestly. And it's, it's that simple. Uh, it's the same reason founders to some degree start businesses. It's a, it's a irrational passion that causes you to go after these things. That's a really great point. And if I could just paraphrase, because uh, I think that uh, your last point is the one where every founder, you, you really have to continually re-inspire your team, right? But the keeping your team to see the seeing the vision that you see, sharing the vision with you and feeling inspired to wake up every morning and go after that is not something that just comes naturally, right? It's uh, you, you have to invest time in that. Yeah, completely. It's, it's actually one of the takeaways with the, the restructure that we went through was the sort of acknowledgements and positive messaging we got were all around the open communication and the very genuine support of those that were outgoing. Uh, I actually had a call with you and to the point that you shared, this was one of my learnings that I, I sort of wrote down as a takeaway, as a key takeaway for me, because as a natural sales type individual, a convincer, I learned to try and do less of that inside of the business and keep that persona more to outside of the business. And I think something that was a great reminder from the, the founder that, that shared this message is you need to still remember to sell within your own company. 
And that is something that requires more practice. And that was a takeaway for me. Let me go to another topic, which is, again, a comment that many people uh, say that uh, A players don't complain, they quit, which I think is a very interesting observation. Um, do, do you agree with that? I don't agree with it as an absolute. One of the mentors and board advisors uh, said that when the building's on fire, you, you only have three types of people. You have the people that run to grab the pails of water and put the fire out. You have the people that immediately run away from the building screaming. Both of those people are very welcome. The worst is the third kind of person who points and says the building's on fire but doesn't pick up a pail of water. And the A players are at least either type one or type two. And I feel like if they feel heard and they feel understood and they feel like there is something to fight for here, they will pick up that pail of water rather than just bolting and going for the exit. Exactly. Other than competing financial offers, which you mentioned earlier is a big problem with you know big companies uh, poaching, probably particularly technical staff. But what are other factors that you think cause a good employee to leave? Frustration. Frustration that that what you're doing is not valued, like hands down. That would be my first answer, my second, and my third. And I, I feel like the responsibility there starts at the top. But when you start to get to the strategy of the business and then how that strategy in, is informing your plans and that your, your roadmaps are already stacking up to something and that you're not constantly zigzagging, it's that frustration that uh, manifests out of that zigzagging that I feel is the number one reason you end up losing uh, people outside of the, the financial reasons that you refer to. Well, as we, we close the podcast here, what are the two things that you feel have worked best for you in retaining your best, best people? Okay, two things. The first is the mission behind the business that is in the DNA of the company. It's, it's about why we do what we do. And I believe for the right people, that why has meaning, and that is something worth fighting for. It is a problem in the world that we can solve that can meaningfully affect the lives of hundreds of millions, if not millions of people. So I think that is a tremendous reason to, to stay. And the second part is, is connected with flexibility and autonomy in, in, equal, in equal measure. And you know our, our team have a tremendous amount of autonomy and also flexibility in how they work. One, one more, go ahead. I feel, I feel creating a space for people to, to keep innovating and feel like there is still space to create things that are new rather than what sometimes happens in a business where it doesn't stagnate. And that's something we're actually making active decisions for 2023 to bring closer to how we work. So I'm going to paraphrase you. Tell me if I got it right. Number one, deep mission alignment. Number two, autonomous ability to go after that mission. And number three, freedom to innovate in how they go after that vision. Okay, good. All right, here's the last fun question. Do you think that the days of free meals, massages, and all the rest of the crazy Silicon Valley perks, do you think those days are over? Do you think they'll ever come back? No. As with market cycles, these things all have cycles and I don't think the days of working in person are altogether gone. There will always be companies that are in-person, hybrid now, and remote. But I do think we're going through a tremendous period of change and how things will resettle, who knows? And 
what we are seeing in these remote environments is some of those perks are now becoming accessible in a, a different manner. They are not centralized. They are health and wellness stipends that you can go and use in a in a private capacity. So I don't think they're altogether gone. I think they're there, but they're they're going to just uh, arrive in, in yeah. different ways. So, so <laughs> still with us, but morphing a little bit to accommodate the, the new world of work. Yeah, great. Well, Devin, uh, thanks so much for your time. I re- really enjoyed the conversation. It's uh, in- inspiring to see a leader who's uh, tenaciously gone after a really giant mission that you're going after and, and le- leading a team to do that. And I uh, l- look forward to continuing on the journey with you. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed learning with me today. I have one offer for you and two easy asks. First, if you're looking to connect with any of the hundreds of amazing entrepreneurs in the Capria Founders Network, or with our local and regional investing partners who collectively manage over a billion dollars in assets, head over to capri.vc slash podcast. Second, please be sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast streaming platform. And third, please share this podcast with anybody who you think will benefit from the insights shared today. Today's episode was produced by Atri Unipasna from our talented team in Bangalore, India. Thanks. See you next time.